Thanks for listening into the Three Sport Threat Podcast Coffee Table Edition. Little plan words from Amir Coffee because this is a basketball edition. I am your host, Joe Cobb. I was joined by my friend Eli on this pod, and we talked about things we loved around the league, and then we hit on some teams who are underachieving. Lastly, we answered some questions at the end. Timestamps are in the description if you want to skip around, but let's get into it. Alright, so I'm going to kick this off by sharing things I love around the league so far, because there's always things I love about the NBA. From Rashad Holmes' push shot to Tyrese Jones being the best backup point guard in the league. Yes, sir. Yeah. Minnesota but, Rays. <laughs> but before I share my pick, I want to introduce my friend and NBA enthusiast, Eli Oberstrom. Hello, hello. I'm Eli. Big NBA fan. Big Timberwolves fan. Big Sharif Cooper fan. <laughs> And Eli, what's, what's your thing you love uh, around the league so far? So far this year, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. What, do you, what do you like, Mom? Coming into the year, they were w- one of the teams on my watch list. I was a big fan of Evan Mobley coming in. Mm. I thought they'd be fun to watch on the defensive end. Did not expect them to be good. Mm. Did not expect Darius Garland to be an all-star. Did not expect Mobley to be this good this quickly. And didn't expect Jared Allen to also be an all-star. Mm. Is uh, Darius Garland most improved this year? Uh, I think it's a debate. I saw on some website the odds were John Morant was favored, which okay. yeah, I mean, I mean he's had a great season, but for most improved, I feel like he was kind of already up there. It was a, yeah, he was a start before the season, so yeah. like him breaking out. I mean, he has broken out to like being an All NBA level player, but it's kind of not the same. I mean, I'm looking at Garland. I mean, he. Put up great numbers last year. I mean, he had 17 a game. But I guess I was just really asleep on him because it was a Cavaliers, and I just assumed it was a uh, good good stats, bad team type of situation. But, I mean, he's doing it again this year and even better. So, I'm, he, he has my pick. That's, I mean, that's kind of why I bring him up. And I think, I mean, I think the only other person was, is maybe Miles Bridges, but... He kind of fell off. He, he had, like, a strong first month. I, I think he's still going pretty strong, oh. but... I think I'm on the Garland most improved. Okay. He's got my vote. Okay. Uh, my thing that I love that uh, on the league so far is a strong rookie class. Um, this is like the first time I can remember that each of the first nine picks didn't miss. Cade Green, Mobley, Barnes, Suggs, Giddy, uh, the Cumbucket, Kaminga, uh, Wagner, Mitchell are all projected to have nice NBA careers. I can see like an all star ceiling for five of them, uh, a couple of them all NBA, like Mobley. I can see Giddy getting an All-NBA and uh, Green, not not Green, uh, K being All-NBA maybe at some point. But, I mean, we're from Minnesota, and it's kind of annoying that the Timberwolves didn't tank a year ago to get a piece of the action, but I digress. Yeah, one of those top three would have been nice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I want to dig into uh, Wagner and uh, Barnes because um, they're really special to me because I like seeing a rookie um, and know immediately they could uh, contribute to a playoff team uh, in 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 a meaningful way. Um, Barnes leads all rookies in wins above replacement, 538's Raptor metric. But, I mean, that's, that's a, maybe a little bit flawed because Van, uh, Fred Van Fleet is second in the NBA in that metric. But, I mean, he has been going crazy, so, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not bad. But uh, in the first couple of games, Nick Nurse kind of just, like, put him in the corner, and he wasn't as effective as he, I mean, he's doing now. And then now, once he's been put in this playmaking role, um, He's been he's been awesome for them. Uh, he uh, initiates the second most possessions on, on on the team, just behind Van Fleet. And like out of college, we knew we were getting a good defender, but uh, I didn't know that we were gonna get this playmaking and scoring drive out out of him. Um, 
I thought it was a risk for Toronto to draft him because uh, Suggs was on the board, and they definitely need another guard next to uh, Van Lee. Yeah, Suggs was definitely the consensus pick, but so far it's looking like Barnes was the right pick. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they just like adds to the collection of like the long wings that they have, a bunch of like six nine guys like Siakam, OG, and Boucher, all in one lineup. It's just it's it's kind of scary. Um, and then I'm gonna go into Franz, Franz uh, Wagner. Jesus, um, I feel like he would give him a lot more hype if he didn't play in Orlando. Um, Cole Anthony was tweeting about like how he's not in the Rookie of the Year combo when ESPN tweeted like a graphic. Uh, they had like Cade and um, Cade Mobley up there, but but no Wagner, and it, and it, it was kind of disrespectful because Franz Wagner's been going crazy this year. It's not just a case of like good stats on a bad team. Um, he just he shows sometimes that he could be like a good connector for a good team. Um, I'm fair of his cutting and his spot of shooting, but as for his role in Orlando, uh, I think he does a great job running running the the pick and roll. And I mean, his shot is always a threat. And then when a defenders like try to hedge or um, try to go over screens, uh, he has a nice full quarter game to keep him honest in the short midi range. Um, I would say he's kind of your, your player comp. It's not really a racial thing, but because <laughs> uh, he's crafty and toolsy, and like um, you know, like he's he doesn't really. Get, I mean, when when I play against you, you don't really get, get your shot blocked. Uh, but for um, Wagner, I mean, he doesn't really get shot contested really because he's just so quick yeah. and crafty. And he's six ten. Yeah. Basically. He plays wing in a big man's body, so exactly. that helps with everything from defense to shooting over people just to finishing inside. Exactly. Just his extra height and length makes everything so much easier for him. Mm -hmm. All right, so th those were the players who caught our eye around the league so far, and now we're going to transition into how the game has been played differently this year compared to last year. Uh, I want to start with the fouls. I feel like there hasn't been a bigger year-to-year -year change in officiating ever, really. Um, this can be seen in the change in offensive rating being down. It's down five points from last year to uh, 106.8 over under possessions. Three-point shooting around the league is down to about 34.8%, uh, lowest in 2017. And in a CBS article, Brad Botkin said that per, per the NBA, fouls are down on three-point shots at around 42%. 42%, which is a big change. So, Eli, I have to ask, like, does officiating impact your, per your perfect version of basketball? My perfect version of basketball? I mean, officiating definitely has a factor on the entertainment value. Mm -hmm. um, I think almost everyone is a fan of the changes they made. Mm -hmm. No one really liked to see the foul baiting that has been so commonly seen through the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I think the change was definitely necessary from a fan's perspective. Mm -hmm. However, I'm not sure how much it really has had an effect on the game as a whole. Because I feel like coming into the year, the big names that people said were going to struggle were Trey Young and James Harden, especially those two, but all around the league. Yeah. But looking at Trey Young's numbers, really he's improved since last year slightly. And James Harden has had injury, aging issues. I don't really... I think looking at his numbers from last so, year to this year has so much. You can see much. Okay. So you think that Dame drop off has just been because of his injuries, or do you think the officiating hasn't been too big for uh, in his chain in, in, in numbers? I think it definitely has to do with both his injuries and he's, for whatever reason, he's suffering from the rule changes more. Mm -hmm. 
but I think in general these players were taking advantage of what the rule was versus needing it to succeed. Sure. I think they're so talented, so skilled, these star players at least. Mm -hmm. They can win in multiple w different ways, mm -hmm. but it was just the foul baiting was the easiest and the most effective for the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I got lost. That's fine. I, I, like, I guess I was the only person on earth who was a fan of the foul baiting and the flopping. Because I, I, I like flopping. Uh, uh, flopping. I like the uh, the theatrics of it. Big free throw guy. I am a big free throw guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk about guards. Like, this is this like, like the application of this is like kind of like with the draft class. Like, without knowing anything about this draft, really, I would lean like towards Jabari Smith over um, the Ivy guy at Purdue, just because like I would just want a bigger guy, a bigger scorer than the, the the shorter. Well, yeah, you look at what most people's top five in the NBA right now. It's Jokic, Giannis, KD, LeBron, and Steph. Yeah. So Steph is the only. Small guard there, and he's Steph. So and he's, he's an all-time an right. No, exactly, exactly. You need, you need an all-time right guard, or else it's like you need. Yeah. Help Dame maybe didn't have enough help his whole career, but then you can look at Trey Young again, yeah. who's maybe not quite at what Dame was in his prime, but he's getting he's getting there. And I think Trey Young has had much more help these past two years than Dame probably ever has, yeah. and Trey couldn't even really get close to getting past Young. And one more thing that I miss is just that. Um, they're so they're so awesome on, on offense, but like that takes so much energy, so that their defensive performance definitely takes a hit. Like, I'm I'm positive if Trey Young and Dame tried a little bit more on defense, they would be a little bit better. But they would just rather they would just rather spend all their energy on on offense, and that definitely is a reason why you can't really have that big of a burden on a guard. And this is more just a general philosophy question that I have, but so. You, you talk about Dame and Trey, how they take so much energy on offense and really struggle on the defensive end. But again, pointing to Steph Curry, who is pretty neutral as a defender. He definitely isn't a big negative on that side. Maybe he definitely isn't now. I don't really think he ever was that big of a negative. So I don't know if that has to do with him just being off ball more on offense. I don't know the correlation there, but nope. him playing more of a team game on offense I don't know. Mentally, he can lock in on defense more than those two can. To be honest, I just think that Steph is a, like he's a freak because he does more work off ball than what Trey and Dame does on ball. The miles he runs exactly. All the so I can't really explain that one because like I, I can't just say like Steph just tries more. It could also be the Draymond effect, just mm -hmm. almost Draymond being more of a vocal leader on that team mm -hmm. where. Uh, Trey and Dame don't really have anyone else pushing them. You got John Collins, but <laughs> I mean, no. no, no, that's that's definitely a good point though. Um, you have anything else to add on the uh, guard thing, or no. move on to the next one? Okay, good to move on. Uh, okay, we're done talking about fouls, and we will move on to shot quality. Uh, Zach Cram made an article from the Ringer uh, highlighting how there's no correlation between shot quality and shot success because everyone's taking the same shots. He used a tool on second spectrum which showed a number to indicate shot quality. And that number is based on shot location and the fact, and, and the fact is in defense. Uh, this treats every shooter as equal, which could be viewed as a negative, but, um, or like a flaw in the system. But uh, we get an idea of what shots people, uh, teams are getting. Uh, the Rockets ranked first in shot quality, but their offensive rating is 26. And um, on the other end, the Nets ranked 19th in shot quality. And they're in the top end of offensive rating. I think they're at eighth, but it's separated by decimal points. 
um, at, up top, or a quote from the article, or one quote from the article is, uh, for, for a long time across the NBA, a team shot distribution could, could reasonably predict its offensive success. Take good shots, enjoy good results, simple. But that relationship, ha uh, which had declined each season for the past half decade, is now gone, and it may not be coming back. And personally, I tend to agree. Um, I think this is important, though, because, or it's important for the sport, because it, um, so that basketball doesn't become, like, uh, like as tactically dependent, like it is in soccer, for for example. So soccer, of course, is more uh, tactically dependent because there's more people on the, on, on the field, so there's more to control. But um, for but but for basketball, the uh, the three point revolution was like the first big tactical change I can remember in like a while. Um, I feel like the nerds were like, like snatching the game a little bit. Like I feel like. Um, we were losing the individual qualities of basketball because I, for me as a fan, I come to basketball uh, because I like enjoying the individual players and the talents and their expression of the game. Um, so like, am I, am I crazy for, for, for thinking like like this kind of? I don't know, it's kind of. Weird. I don't think you're crazy. However, I think there there is just like you said, there's no correlation between the shot quality mm -hmm. because I think every team is taking the same shots now. Sure. So I don't know if that's such a good thing because it's almost every team is looking more similar than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. They're all teams have figured out where players should be standing on offense, yeah. how teams should be spaced around their best players and sure. where they want the shots. Sure. So I think it's good that it's highlighting these individual players and these individual players have more of an effect, but it also, every team is looking more and more similar, which... Which is fine. Well, I mean, it's perfectly fine with me. Like if every team is kind of similar, I can now like there's like a blueprint of how every team is how every team's offense is structured so now i can e more easily identify the better players because they, they do different things like they take a higher difficulty of shots and uh, like tougher shots and they do more playmaking like that's something that i tend to enjoy from individual basketball players mm -hmm. across the league but yeah did, did you have anything else on that or we can move on to the meat of the pod I think we can move on. All right. Um, okay, we're going to start talking about the Lakers. And to give them a quick overview um, of the, what they did last offseason, uh, they gave Taylor Horn Tucker through, um, uh, a contract extension for three for 30, uh, which is kind of wild. Um, Kendrick Nunn got signed as long with um, Melo Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, uh, DeAndre Jordan, Malik Monk, Ray John Rondo, and Avery Bradley, and they traded for Westbrook for KCP and Trez. Um, yeah, they, 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 they let Kuzma go. Um, just a lot of questionable decisions. Like overall, they just like restructured or reshuffled their uh, role players. Um, they got rid of three players that won a championship with, which was kind of weird. Um, Caruso, Kuz, and KCP. But um, for this year, uh, it just looks like the like the role players just aren't good enough. They've uh, tinkered with different lineups. Uh, they lead the NBA. They have uh, 18 different variations in the starting lineup, um, and it just isn't a great combo. Um, they're just trying to find a combination between uh, defense and shooting. And to be honest, the whole wing rotation has been considered for a starting lineup. Like Tucker uh, provides something. Um, Melo and Monk provide shooting, and maybe Bradley's for the defense, but. Um, what do, what do you what do you suggest to fix this? Like, do you just trade all the role players and like get a new new seat of role players? Well, first I'd like to say that for their season, for them has been a train wreck. For me, I'm really enjoying this season. <laughs> I don't have any hate towards the Lakers, but I'm a 
I love seeing this season from LeBron having to carry again. <laughs> That's okay. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So from my own viewing experience, I'm liking the season so far for the Lakers, but I, yeah, they are struggling a little bit. Mm. It is they are in a tough spot because they don't have really many tradable contracts. With they have three max contracts, and they have Taylor Horton Tucker. Basically, everyone else is a minimum. Yeah. So I'm not sure where they can really get trades to come out of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who would you say is the most valuable asset outside of the big three with Westbrook, uh, AD, and Bron? Malik Monk? He hasn't been hot recently. No, I mean... He's been hot and he's younger. Everyone else is 35 years old, it seems like. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just not much that they can do. Um, I want to talk about AD himself because I think we're just, like, witnessing his downfall right now. Um, he is now shooting in like the second percentile for bigs for three point percentage, uh, at eighteen percent, which is a ridiculous percentage. Like that's Blake Griffin range. Uh, his and I don't own- think anyone else shooting his percentage is any- shooting anywhere near two again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, his on off is a negative three point eight compared to last year. Um, he shoots the third most long mids of any big. And he's shooting that around like forty-two percent, which is in the middle of the pack efficiency. So like, but the like, like so the Lakers can't really do many moves. But I guess they just have to pray that they find some sort of combination that that works with Westbrook and AD finally finds form. But yeah, I think they just have to hope that AD comes back completely healthy and finds his shooting again. I think if that doesn't happen, I'm not sure how far they can get this year. Yeah, uh, LeBron. I don't think he could do it again. I know there's always that, always that. But LeBron, <laughs> if LeBron, but I don't think it was always LeBron could do it when he was surrounded by shooters. Yeah, he's not really surrounded by shooters. And I mean, like with the eighty at the five thing, it's been fine. Now I mean, it, it, it's been it's been looking positive. Uh, eighty at the five, mostly because Malik Monk has been on fire uh, since they've made that change. But. Um, Enough Laker talk. I, mean, I, I get bored about talking to about myself. About <laughs> There's the Laker. enough Laker talk. <laughs> okay, now we're going to talk about Portland. Um, for some context, uh, last year they got dumped out of the playoffs by the Nuggets. Um, when the GM, or the former GM, uh, Neil O'Shea, uh, was addressed with his inability to build a championship contender, uh, he was. He seemed insistent that the Blazers were fine because they were uh, making the playoffs a bunch. Uh, they had a streak of eight straight years of making the playoffs. And this is a problem for me because it seems like there's a disconnect from the GM's uh, expectations to the fans' expectations. I feel like they want different things. Um, I guess, like, O'Shea won, uh, tried to address this by changing the head coach. But uh, I'll get onto that later. Um, last year, they were second in offense, 29th in defense. And to address this, O'Shea got rid of Ennis Freedom and Melo because they are horrendous defenders and they do not really help them with their goals to win a championship. Um, other moves they made, they extended Norman Powell and traded Derek Jones and a pick for Larry Nance. Um, they added minimum guys like Snell and Zeller. I'm a big fan of the Larry Nance trade. Yeah. I think he is a very underrated defender and I think he should be helping them a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not really shown in their record, but I 
think many more teams should have been trying to get Larry Nance, and I even would have loved to see him stay with Cleveland again this year and for them to run a Nance, Mobley, Allen lineup. Yeah. Not no. many people I would have scored on that. I would have yeah, loved it if Cleveland just kept them because I, I, I'm i personally not a fan of this uh, Lance fit in Portland because they have to stagger his minutes with Narcos's minutes because mm-hmm. every time um, they're on the court together, it's awful. They're... Uh, those two together are Portland's worst line, worst lineups. And, of course, when Nurkic is out of the game, they don't really have a competent backup big. So it's 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 kind of a mess in Portland. Um, yeah, I think he's kind of playing their backup center minutes, where I'm not sure that's his best role. I think his role should, probably should be next to a different center. Obviously, it doesn't seem Nurkic is the guy, but yeah. someone that fits him better, mm. where when he's playing the five himself, he's not as effective. Agreed. Yeah. Um, as for changes in Portland uh, last year, um, they changed coaches. And I feel like that was a move by O'Shea to like show fans and I guess people like me that they're trying something new. They're trying to raise their ceiling of this team. And I guess Bill's first plan of action was to change their pick and roll defense. Um, Bill Ups is a big fan of hedging, getting the big man up at the level of the screen. Um, opposed to Scott, uh, the last head coach, who was uh, insistent of a drop coverage, which was a train wreck because Nurkic is not a good defender at all. Um, a lot of times, uh, they would the the guards penetrating would just finish around him or just like do a quick floater uh, over him because uh, Nurkic does not provide much of a paint presence. Um, but as for the results for this year, their their defense has improved slightly, just twenty second uh, in defense. But it's still awful in crunch time. Um, so like, scheme could only go so far with this roster. Um, well, yeah, what, I think what, when your backcourt is Dame and CJ, you're very hard. You're ever gonna have a good defense, especially when your center's Nurkic. Yeah. That's basically your big three. None of them are positive defenders, and couple of them being pretty negative defenders. Yeah. You're just never going to have a good defense, no matter who else is around them. Mm-hmm. For them to keep trying a new scheme, there just isn't a scheme that's going to help bad defenders. Yeah. And it's not just bad defenders. This team just doesn't have size. Uh, it's really brutal to put up a lineup with Dame, CJ, and Norman Powell. All, yeah. all of them are under 6'4". And... Um, Again, it's, yeah, like, like I said, like it's tough to, re- to rely on Nurkic as a big man because he's, like, I have, he's, there's, there's only a few NBA players that I have beef with, just like with their play. <laughs> and Nurkic is one of them because he can't finish, and I think he's quite dumb on defense. He doesn't seem like he reads scouting reports. He, uh, like, jumps out on non-jump shooters, gets beat, and gets a foul somewhere in there. He's sixth in the league in fouls. And I was looking at the list. I don't know why Jaden McDaniels is third for the Timberwolves, but that's still kind of crazy to me. He jumps at everything. Blocks <laughs> a lot, but follows a lot. This is, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, uh, Nurkic gets in foul trouble a lot. Um, and they don't, like I said, they don't really have a backup big. So it's really, really damaging when he does get fouled out. As seen in last year's playoffs, when he got fouled out, where Nurkic fouled him out every game, it seemed like. And then... It was from Jokic versus Dame doing whatever they want against each other. Um, I want to tackle the offensive woes for this team. Um, so Dame has missed a lot of time this year, and of course that will kill your any offense when they're missing their best player. 
Um, Dame was their best player, even though he's not our best playmaker, even though he's not an amazing playmaker. But without Dame, their playmaking is absolutely awful. Um, Anthony Simons is their primary ball handler now, or their, I would say, best ball handler now. Um, and he's, I mean, he's more of a scoring first guard, right? Yeah, definitely score first, which pretty repetitive when it's next to Powell and CJ. They're all just exactly score score first and pass later. Yeah. Um, and for their like offensive sets, it seems like they kind of just like rush shots. They, um, I think it's a, it's a lack of confidence in the playmaking or the offensive scheme because um, they're really willing to take uh, semi contested three point sh- shots with like eighteen seconds left in the shot clock because I feel like they think that they can't find a better shot later in in, in the clock. Um, they were a team who banked on their offense and now their defense sucks too as long as oh like with their offense uh they get smashed a lot uh billups uh, mentioned that they don't compete every night uh road team uh, they have the worst road record of any team like that wants to sniff the playoffs uh as of today they are two and 14 on the road which is i i, I can't really explain why you have that big of a road road home split but um that might, that might be a billups thing and speaking of Billups, he has a five-year contract, and we don't know if he's a good coach yet because this is his first year. And it's kind of just like Boston. You're getting a coach, yeah. your first-year head coach, and you don't know if that's I was going to say, in both Boston and Portland, they let go of these longtime coaches that have established themselves as good NBA coaches, hmm. assuming that this coaching change would just help them. Hmm. They kind of forgot that it's hard to find coaches that are as good as those two were. Hmm. And, but they both kind of went for more of a player's coach. Hmm. And for Billups to come in, supposed to be the players' coach, and then blame his players for not buying in, not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what he was brought in to do was to get them to buy in. Mm-hmm. So if they're not buying in, I think that has more to say about him than almost the players. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a thing on this, but even before Dame's injury, were you concerned about Dame, like his upside? Uh, yes, I don't think he could ever really be win a championship. Mm-hmm. Because he's so ball dominant, but just not quite good enough to lead a great team. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. Um, going into this year, uh, he was he had this ab injury that he picked up from the Olympics. Uh, I mean, I think he had it before the Olympics because the whole Olympic Games, he just looked awful, or just like just not himself. Um, this was like the first offseason he he took off, and like he never. Takes an offseason off. He's always like that guy who posts who posts um, offseason workout videos and stuff like that. But um, this year kind of confirmed what I've been feeling. I've been feeling the same thing that you have, um, but now it's emphasized with the fact that he can't drive as effectively as before because he's not getting the foul calls. Um, he's down to twenty four points a game with a lower free throw rate and accuracy. Um, Career low in uh, field goal percentage and true shooting. Um, what do you do with Dame now? Because it, it might be too late to trade him. Because I mean, yeah, they had an opportunity basically to trade him for Ben Simmons. I mean, and a lot more. Yeah. Like he had sky high value, so he was putting up like what felt like thirty five a game. He was seen as a star, yeah. borderline superstar. And now, yeah, yeah, and now after his showing this year, I don't even know how many teams will want him at this point. Mm-hmm. 
And it's really less appealing to blow up this roster. Because, I mean, in my opinion, CJ McCollum probably needs to be traded, too. And he's having the same issues that uh, Davis having. He's injury-prone, too. So... Yeah, they could try to blow up the roster, but the return they're going to get on all these players. Well, uh, you'll get some good stuff for Dame, but I don't even know how much you can get back for CJ. Mm-hmm. And the whole rest of it. They don't have any young players they can really just bank on for the rest of this year or going forward that they can just give reps to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Simons is kind of that, but I don't know how much you really want Simons as part of a large part of your future. Yeah, he's... He's like a great spark plug off the bench. Yeah. That's what I would view him as, but not someone that I would want to build my team around. Okay, so I have to ask, um, how do you make an NBA Finals with when you don't have an all-timer and you're depending on point guards who are awesome on offense but are horrific on defense, like Damon Trey? Um, well, to, to make or to give you some context, like the Hawks have an easier. Uh, path to building a final team because they have assets around their main guard um, but it just seems really impossible when you don't have an all-timer at point guard to build a championship contender uh, do you have any thoughts on that well I think it's I'm not even sure it's possible without an all-timer to mm-hmm. really make the finals and compete you could point to the Suns last year where yeah. but they built their team perfectly basically yeah. mm-hmm. and CP3 he's an all-timer but maybe not at this stage in his career sure but that's whatever. But with Dame and Trey, I think you really have to get similar to how the Suns perfectly build the roster around them. So get like a legit co-star. Because I mean, like, uh, uh, CJ should be like the the Booker equivalent. But yeah, I mean, he's never been an all-star. He's never been at yeah, the level. He was never that level that I think Portland and a lot of fans kind of mm-hmm. saw him as. I don't think he could be as seen by how Portland did in the playoffs all those years. Yeah. He was never really fit to be the number two on a great yeah. team. And Nurkic is no Aiden. Um, so the Hawks recently made a trade to, I guess, try to restart or try to build this finals team. I mean, do you have any thoughts on the Cam Reddish trade? Um, a little bit about Cam Reddish. I think, as you saw from what they got back for him, his value around the league just wasn't very high. Mm. And I think... Fans around the league value him much higher than the teams do. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of fans say, oh, he's the perfect 3 and D wing, and he's young. Mm-hmm. Why didn't the Lakers try to trade for him? Yeah. Well, he's just not a great defender. And his three-point shooting, it's good, but nothing like crazy out of this world. Mm-hmm. He's very limited athletically, which I think a lot of fans don't realize because he has the body shape. Yes. You know, he looks like he'd be athletic, mm-hmm. but he... Is not he's pretty limited there, mm. so that really affects his driving ability, his finishing ability, and his defending. Mm. At this point, he's really just a shooter who's not even that great of a shooter at this point. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's fine for them to get rid of him, but I think it's good that he also gets another shot in New York to try yeah. somewhere else. And I agree with your point that he gets a lot of love from fans. I mean, he's definitely like a social media darling. Um, kind of like of the Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, mold of just like getting a lot of random love from social media. And what happened to him? Got traded to the Knicks and what happened to him? I knew he was on the Knicks. <laughs> um, uh, let's move on to, to the, the Hawks. And the first thing I want to talk about is Click Bello. Because as for healthy players, he's had the biggest year-to-year drop-off. Um, Capella just fell off of his, with his finishing. And I think it's mostly mental because he's shooting free throws at an abysmal rate at about 
46%. And when you know that your rate of shooting is that bad, there's less of incentive to draw contact and like be aggressive and get easy looks and get to, to the line. Um, he's been on like the steady de de uh, decline since his amazing 2017-18 uh, season with the Rockets. Uh, he's shooting 8% since then. But a really damaging thing for him and uh, the Hawks is his missed layups just lead to open looks on the other end. Uh, other teams get uh, easy transition looks uh, after his misses, and the Hawks are one of the worst teams in tra transition defense, which definitely hurts uh, their defense. Like that's a big reason why their defense sucks. Um, n not even keeping, or in addition to their uh, horrible point of attack defense. Um, a big thing is Okongwu coming back, um, so that they don't have to depend on Capella or having or depend on having big Capella minutes. Um, he's great because he provides a different option for them. He unlocks a small ball option for them. Um, because or th this is great because Capella um, isn't providing the defensive presence that they need because they're still awful on defense. So why not just go all in on on, on offense? And when the Congo is in, it seems like they have perfect spacing. Um, and this looks like a great foil for Capella. I just think that they just need to move on from him or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the trade rumors around the league are all about John Collins, where I think they should be looking to keep him and trade Capella. I understand that's not possible this year. Capella isn't uh, allowed to be traded until after this season. Oh, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Whatever re-signing he did in the offseason, he's not allowed to be traded. So right now, ideally, you want kind of want to get rid of Capella, but you can't do that right now. But I think they should definitely try keeping Collins. I saw the other day a stat that said, I think of all players averaging 20 points per game, John Collins has the highest true shooting percentage yeah. or something. Yeah, he doesn't miss from three. He's like, yeah, he's like he, watching this. He's a miss. very, I think he's a perfect partner for Trey as a yeah. play finisher. Yeah. And I think he's improved on the defensive end to now be terrible. And I think they should yeah. probably try to keep him. Do you know why he was upset? I, remember, I, I saw rumors that he was just upset with something there. And that's why he was in the trade rumors. I'm not sure, maybe. But he yeah. doesn't get the ball enough. Yeah, but he has to be an untouchable asset because, like, like I said, he's a perfect partner next to Trey. But um, this team uh, just kind of just like oozes of James Harden energy. Um, they don't really seem to care about defense, but when it comes to uh, offense, they really get the job done. Uh, the main point of concern is their point of attack defense. Uh, Herder seems to be their best defender, uh, or perimeter defender, and he's not great. Uh, he's he's not, or uh, he's not a stopper, but he's, he's fine uh, on the on the perimeter. Um, do you have anything about their perimeter defense? Yeah, I think kind of the way they built their whole team. Like after Trey's second year, they kind of started realizing they really have a star on their hands, hmm. and I feel like a lot of teams when they have a 21-year-old star, they kind of are like, oh, we can wait it out. We can wait three or four years yeah. to build our team through the draft, yeah. where they kind of went for it right away. They traded for Capella and whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But they seems like they've gone all in. Not all in. They've really focused on surrounding him with good shooting. Sure. So whether that's Herder or Bogdanovich, mm. they kind of have surrounded him with a bunch of offensive players. And that's, I mean, it's really hurt their defense. Capella's like, Capella, Collins is a good defender, but Capella, they've relied on mm. to kind of stop everyone, and he's not that level. He's not really yeah, Gobert. Exactly. So I think in building their team, they look too much on the offensive end, and they should have been looking for more defenders. 
if you already have Trey and Collins that can really be the engine on most offenses, no matter who's around them, I think they should start focusing more to look for point of attack defenders and wing defenders. Agreed. For this last part, quick fire question. We're going to go over quick topics around the league. Um, for this first question, uh, can you rank uh, Chet, uh, Boncaro, and uh, Jabari Smith? Uh, yeah. I think, first off, I would think they're all very close. Very close in a tier above everyone else. Mm-hmm. I think they definitely should be the top three. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Jabari definitely is the third, though. I think the top two should be Chet and Paolo in some order. I it's hard for me to pick one or the other. They're very different, very different play styles. And like I don't, I'm not usually someone, especially at the top top of the draft, to pick for need versus sure. pick just best player available. I'm always just pick best player available, figure it out later. Because you get in a Jalen Green situation with the Rockets. Yeah, which I mean, yeah, I don't even know what. Fit they were looking for, like <laughs> a score next to Wood, a scoring guard next to Wood, but like Mobley couldn't fit next to Wood, but whatever. <laughs> but I think, I think, uh, I'm leaning Paolo number one, okay. just because of his. I mean, he's more of a scorer, more of a playmaker. Hmm. So I think you should bet on the number one pick. You want someone that can kind of drive your offense okay. more than a defensive centerpiece, sure. Which I think Chet can be. I think Chet will have his struggles just being so skinny. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's not really going to – I don't think it's really going to even affect the the rim protection from him. Okay. I think he just is so, so good at staying vertical and timing. Yeah, He's just one of the best uh, college players at just timing blocks. Yeah. Quick, quick question. Should Chet fill out – like, there's, like, players that are – kind of better that they are skinny like i mean historically kg was definitely better that he was like kind of lanky is chet a type of player who should fill out because i feel like there's I pressure needs to fill out a little bit okay. i think he's let he's skinnier than kg ever i mean maybe not ever was but <laughs> yeah prime like, kg yeah. i think yeah. you definitely want to fill out a little bit mm-hmm. but i think it seems like the way he's able to stay vertical on everything that he has decent core strength mm-hmm. it's but i don't think it would hurt to fill out a little bit okay but while also keeping the mobility to play on the perimeter, both offensively and defensively. Okay. I think that's a big part of it. All right. Uh, what's your thing on Jalen Smith? Or not, sorry. Uh, yeah, what's your thing on uh, Jabari Smith? I'm sorry, I said Jalen Smith. Uh, um, I think he, I think he could very well be the top player in the, in the whole draft. I think his shooting ability is. Uh, a level above anyone else in the draft. I think his, I mean, not just his shooting ability, his shooting ability combined with his height, mm. able to shoot over anyone basically whenever he wants. Mm. And he's just been electric while also being a good defender. Mm. He's not just an offensive guy. He can play defense. He's almost switchable. Yeah, He can guard guards decently mm. while also uh, being able to bang with the bigger guys. Oh. Which I think you mentioned earlier about not wanting to build around guards mm. in today's NBA. Yeah. I think this this draft class is a perfect representation of that. The yeah. top three guys are all six to ten plus. Yeah. And I think that's just the way the league is headed. I believe wait, aren't all three of them second generation bigs, if you have any knowledge of that? I know um Chet is uh son of a NBA player. 
and and I think Jamari Smith definitely. Yeah, so so yeah, so yeah, two of the three are um second generation picks. I think that's kind of important though, because there's more um there's more uh refined to their games. I feel like uh I know for sure Jabari Smith's dad was more of like a traditional big, right? And now that like they can have knowledge of like where they went wrong, the the the, the dad's passing it down in the game, like uh, mm-hmm. they're getting knowledge on what they did wrong. And I mean, in this generation, uh, they can look up like Jokic and knowing like there's different ceilings that you can reach as a big man nowadays. Yeah, between Cat and Jokic, yeah, these kids that are big at their age, they mm-hmm. can they're starting to realize, oh, we can do more than just sit in the paint. Yeah. And so I think it's going to have a huge effect on the future of the league. Yeah. Uh, the last uh, thing we want to go over is um, our finals prediction. But I kind of want to dig on the West. Who's your top three in the West? Because what I'm asking is that is what I'm actually asking is are the Grizzlies the top three team in the West right now? I don't no, that. you're not buying in, in, into this re- recent surge. I'm, I'm buying into it. I think they're really good. I think the Suns, Warriors, and Jazz. A level above everyone else. Okay. I think the Suns and Warriors are a level above the Jazz. Yeah, I, don't I, mean, think I agree, yeah. but I think there's also a gap between the Jazz and the rest. Okay. So they're just like a tier of their own, the Jazz. Okay. So who do you have coming, coming out of the West? I don't know. It's goes back and forth all the time. Mm. I want to pick the Warriors. Big Warriors fan. Okay. I think their experience and the system they've that Steve Kerr's implemented mm. has been proven to work with as long as you have Steph and Draymond, kind yeah. of nothing else really matters. Yeah, I mean they have good players around it. And that yeah. helps, but the system that they have with those two, mm. offensively and defensively, yeah. is shown to work in the playoffs year after year. I just don't think. Yeah, uh, these recent games about Draymond Green, uh, I've been kind of talking like how important Draymond Green is because I feel like the casual fan doesn't really appreciate what he does I for this team. Maybe my hottest take of. Recent in recent times is he was snubbed from the NBA top seventy five all time team. Okay, I get behind that. I don't know. I think I think he's in the perfect situation in Golden State. Sure. I don't think he becomes a top seventy five all time player sure. anywhere else, but I think he is basically their system. Mm-hmm. As I mean, him and Curry, it's mm-hmm. they're both one of a kind players. They play that, off each other really well, and yeah. they play off each other so well. Mm-hmm. Neither is what they become without the other one. Mm-hmm. But I think Draymond. Basically, being best defender of this generation, mm-hmm. and while also being a uh, a part of the offense, a key part of their offense that they always that they've been running for years and years, and contributing to the to the success of Steph Curry, mm-hmm. I think he like people. Yes, Dwight Howard was also snubbed. Obviously, that was the biggest snub for yeah. me. But I think Draymond was maybe next in line. I just think he doesn't get the recognition he deserves as being a, one of the best players in NBA history. Yeah. Um, it's weird, though, because, I mean, there was there was Clay Thompson who was, like, really complaining yeah, about I, it. I, and that's, <laughs> I think Draymond deserves a win over Clay Thompson. Really? Um, it's, I think Clay fits around the Dre and Curry very well, perfectly almost. But I think if you take away... Draymond from those teams, they don't have any of the success they have, but I think they could without Clay. It's an easier. I I I get why Clay was complaining the way he was. He I think he has an easier argument because like he he has bigger moments. Like like I like thinking about this NBA seventy five list as in like 
um, the NBA has been like a, a story. Like um, it's all been like one long story. There's a bunch of characters who uh, help make it uh, compelling. And what Clay Thompson has done in the, in, in the playoff, like his playoff moments, like there you can't complete the NBA story without Clay Thompson. And I feel like I see what you're saying, but I don't think. I'm not saying I'm right. I just no, that, I, that's, I, what, that's what I view it. I think you really can't tell the story of the last five years of the NBA without Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. I think he the defensively the effect he's had across the whole league. Now every, there was a time like the Rockets when PJ Tucker was playing center, like these teams, like the small ball revolution. Mm-hmm. All these teams have tried to copy Golden State, but they can't because there's no other Draymond Greens. I'm gonna ask you a question. All right. Draymond Green or Paul Pierce for the NBA semifinals? Jimmy Draymond Green. Oh, come on, bro. Come I on. I, I don't like ranking players even. Sure. Because it's even now at like different circumstances. Nowadays, who the top players in the league are, I don't like ranking it, but especially all time, I don't think. Okay. I don't think it's there's a point in debating it. It's too hard. Yeah. Uh, there is no Paul Pierce line on this podcast. I was just, <laughs> I was just setting you up. You you can mute that part. <laughs> you can yeah. Mute my note. <laughs> okay, going back. Uh, final pick. Um. So I hesitantly picked the Warriors. Okay. I more confidently picked the Bucks. So you have a Bucks Warriors finals. Yeah. And with the Bucks coming up. Okay. I remember you talking about like recently, like a week ago, like uh, you're confident that the Nets were going to be the best team out of the East. Was that do you do you, do you feel differently now, or was that never a take from you? I, I don't know. Maybe I said it. I don't. Really <laughs> you, you definitely don't, don't feel that way now? I think it's close. I just think. I don't know. I, I'll just. I don't know. I'm betting on the Bucks again. Okay. I, what they did last year, and I don't think they've gotten any worse this year. I think they what they did last year, despite Drew Holiday's offensive struggles, mm-hmm. which I don't think would repeat again this year. I think he'll be better. So I don't. I, I think they're going to make it. Okay. But I could obviously be wrong. I could definitely see the Nets making it. Uh, could you see? Could you see the Bulls in the finals? No. No. Okay. No one else but the Bucks and the Nets <laughs> out of the East. Okay. All right. Um, I will. I don't have a cop answer, but I kind of have the same answer as you. Um, I don't really believe in the Suns. I'm kind of. Um, I'm just not. Trust, I just don't trust Chris Paul uh, over four rounds to be healthy. We've seen it over and over again. So, uh, that would be the only thing I would take out of the West out of the uh, Golden State. Um, I also you, think they're like Devin Booker's an amazing scorer. I think he's just not quite a good enough scorer to like solidify himself and the Suns as being the team to come out. Yeah. I think they don't like he's a great go-to guy for them, he's but he's bit, not quite the level of go-to guy yeah. that these other teams have. I agree. Um, he's, yeah, he's definitely taking a step up this year. Uh, I saw something about his uh, sh- shot off the dribble shot, or his improvement in his uh, shot dribble has definitely been an important part of his game. But um, you're right. Uh, he's, he's, he's not like a, a star level right now. I don't think he's an all-NBA level player. I do want to talk about all-NBA. But we are this podcast is kind of running a little bit long. And I can talk about that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, where where can people find you at? Oh, uh, Twitter, I guess. I think my 
Twitter handle is Big Boy Jimbo. Nice. I think. Nice. Big Boy, the boy is spelled with an I, I believe. Nice. No, that boy Jimbo. <laughs> that boy Jimbo. Okay. <laughs> And that is the podcast. Thanks for reaching the end. Big shout out to Charlie Nazarian for the music. I'll try to shoot these out on a regular basis going forward. But that's all I have for you right now. And this is Joe saying goodbye.